I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Robbie Robbie's weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh, 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 Magic! Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly brought to you in association with Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Gavin Casey here in studio, just fresh back from Cork where we had our quiz and readings last night. Thanks a million to everybody who turned out and it was lovely as well to meet a few listeners of the podcast. I'm joined in studio by the returning in physical form murray kinsella great to have you back murray how are you yeah brilliant had a lovely week off after getting back from japan so really refreshed and looking forward to this weekend already it's gonna be fun and we're joined as well by another prodigal son in uh, bernard jackman how are you bernard <laughs> very good thank you glad to be back talking about champions cup rugby and and getting back into the provinces first time we've uh, seen you since you went to japan yourself how did you get on yeah great and, uh, five days over there um went very quickly but uh it was just good to get, uh, I suppose, a, a perspective of what it was like. Um, and yeah, I think that is obviously coming back then and, and working on the World Cup from from here, I think the Japanese did a, a great job. And I think, um, you know, what did what World Rugby do with Japan um, is certainly going to be interesting. I'd love to see them capitalise on the momentum they have now and do something with them pretty quickly because I'd be afraid that, you know, if Jamie Joseph gets the All Blacks job, for example, you know, what kind of effect can that have? And um, I just think that they've waited so long for a tier two country to to really show potential. Um, you know, bar Argentina, nothing's happened for a long time. And I, I'd love, I'd love to see Japan, you know, been given a platform and a structure to uh, to go and continue to develop because you know they they were a joy to watch and, and I think that that if they have a better competition going forward, um, there's a chance the fans, the new fans that they maybe picked up will stay in the game. But if not, they'll they'll drift towards Olympics next year and back to baseball and sumo etc. So it would be great to kind of have an idea of what the plan, if there is one, was for them. Yeah, strike while they are in as hot. Yeah. I suppose we'll see how it plays out. Um, we're going to, as you mentioned. Delve into club rugby today. Uh, we touched upon it a bit last week to devastating effect, uh, <laughs> as it turned out when we were discussing Monsters Southern Hemisphere contingent. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll keep it for one week. Now today. Yeah, we went away for one week. You can't leave us for a week. Um, but we're going to do a, essentially a Champions Cup preview. We'll go province by province. I think the fairest way, particularly in light of last week's debacle, is to go in chronological order. And uh, we'll start with. Ulster then, who kick us off on what's actually a massive Saturday. I can't really remember one Saturday in which three provinces were all involved in Champions Cup action. But um, year two for Dan McFarland, uh, a chance to build Murray, I suppose, on a lot of the promise they showed last year. A season which um, was probably a fine season on paper if you uh, had asked them at the start of the season what to expect. And yet might have even been better had it not been for a magnificent... uh, Rossburn kick at the Aviva Stadium and, you know, a couple of errors uh, that cost them a, a European quarterfinal. Yeah, I guess reflecting on that, that was the high in terms of actual performance levels. They probably felt they'd done enough and not to bring up bad memories, but Jacob Stockdale gets over the try line, doesn't finish a try. Other than that, they, they may well have won that. They miss a very kickable um, John Cooney shot at goal as well. They'll have had big regrets about that. you got to also remember that Pro 14 semi-final as well, where they got absolutely trounced by Glasgow. That was a really dark day at the end of a really positive campaign and showed there was still a good bit of distance for them to make up, um, albeit on the on the back of lots of positive performances. There have been tweaks to the squad even. You think of the new signings. Sam Carter, he's come over from Australia. He's looked good in the, the early stages of the season. Quite a, a physical player, does the nuts and bolts, can call a good line out. So he's been a good addition. Matt Faddis probably has had little glimmers of his ability on kick return and counter-attack, but not quite there yet, understandably. Um, and Jack McGrath, we saw last weekend, looks really revived and, and very motivated, certainly in some of those scrum penalties and, and celebrating them. He had to be told to calm down a little bit by Frank Murphy, the referee, I think. But he did look pumped up and he has a lot to prove. And that's going to be a fascinating move to see how that works out. Him and Marty Moore on, on either side, that's scrum. Um, they have a new forwards coach in Roddy Grant who's come in from, from Scotland as well to maybe tighten up those bits of their game. So I, I think they'll very much be looking to essentially implement very much the same structures, the same style of play, that tempo that Dan McFarlane tried to bring in. A lot of passing in their game and we've seen that early on this season as well. I think they're averaging about 150 passes a game, which in the top 14 is 
or the Pro 14 rather is, is probably right up there in terms of that average. So that's the style of play they're going to they're, they're going to implement. It's just about doing it better and making sure that there's a real consistency across that the work rate, the, the line out, the mall, all those elements of the game that maybe were a little bit inconsistent last season. There's loads of reasons for them to be optimistic. It is a tough start away to Bath. We're not quite sure how Bath are going to go with their selection in terms of Underhill, Joseph Watson, those guys coming back in. Um, but with them and Harlequins in that pool, you'd probably fancy Clermont to top this pool. And they're back in the competition. That's great for for European rugby. But I think Ulster be reading really up another chance at a quarter final here. And, and getting a good start away to Bath would obviously be the ideal. They've never lost to Bath in the Champions Cup, so they've got a fine record in, in that sense. Um, and I think they'll be pretty positive at making a good start here. Yeah, Bath's probably a bit hot and cold as well, kind of win-loss, win-loss in the Premiership. But um, where do Ulster improve for you, Bernard? Like, it seems as though, and it probably applies across the board with all the provinces, there's no need to sort of tear anything up and start from scratch. It really is just a case on building on some of the good things you put together last year, adding a few more strings to your bow. Yeah, I, I thought they did a, a relatively soft uh, group last year in Europe, and but in fairness to them, um, they peaked and they really targeted Leinster in, in, in the Aviv as they probably could. You know, it was, you know, it was a game where they could probably, you know, see four or five weeks out um, a little bit earlier than Leinster, and they put together a, a really good performance. So I, w- I would say they kind of have a at the moment a bit of a, a cup team ment- mentality or, or profile um, and what Dan will look to do is is I suppose make them more consistent uh, and have less of those you know type semi-final uh, away in the in the Pro 14 where they get absolutely hammered or you know or they're a little bit inconsistent I think definitely agree with Murray you know Dan is, is all about playing and playing with ambition and I actually had a chat with him during the World Cup around Japan and you know how he was a real fan of kind of what they were doing and would love to have a team playing to that level of detail and and, and ambition uh, but I think and I think you know you have to remember where he's come from he's come from you know I suppose under the tutelage of Gregor Townsend so he's definitely been influenced by, by him uh, but I think he also has the nuts and bolts uh, in his in his uh, profile in terms of coaching, scrum, line-up mall. You know, we saw it last weekend at Tom Park. So, um, you know, I think that they will try and play, but they, you know, they potentially have a plan B as well, which is built around that set piece. And with Jack McGrath um, going in there, it definitely gives them, you know, uh, more strength and depth in, in their in their, in their loose head ranks. You know, Marty's a, is a pretty good scrummager. Um, and, you know, Dan will be looking to get the best out of him. So I think... I think Ulster are, are a team on the up. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say they're contenders for silverware, but uh, I think Dan is a, is a very bright coach um, and, you know, they have recruited pretty well. And, you know, Ravenhill's a fortress. And I don't think that, I agree that Claremont should win that group, but I think Baton Harlequins, you know, we, we sometimes build the English teams up a little bit too much. And, you know, generally when they come up against an Irish team in, in Europe, uh, you know, we find out that they're not as maybe a, a, as good as, as, as they're built up to be. So it's probably a group that, they, that that Ulster should, you know, hope to get out of as a, as a second place team. But that's obviously, you need you can't have many slip ups then because you've got to go to Claremont and that, that's one game probably lost. Um, uh, so I, I think it's a huge game for Ulster. And I, I think they will have a good season. I think they're, you know, they have a lot of things right, but I think it'll be year three before they're real contenders. They're, they're in healthy condition as well at the moment. You, you're looking at them probably playing a full hand. Billy Burns could see uh, Addison are all probably in line to come back. Everyone else is, is pretty much fit. They obviously lost the, the big prop, uh, Milasinovic, to an injury, unfortunately. Just after he came in, he looked like potentially adding a lot in terms of bulk anyway. Um, but they are very healthy. And also Ian Henderson probably back, back this weekend. He's been one of the biggest changes because he's now the captain officially. Rory Best is is finished playing. So that's a massive role for him. I'd be interested in your thoughts on that and how he's going to step up to that. Because clearly Joe Schmidt, I mean, vocally put some pressure on him to st- step up in the World Cup with Ireland to maybe take a little bit more leadership for that. He probably did that in some games, maybe in the quarterfinal. It didn't quite work out that way but how do you feel he's set up to, yeah, to take well, over I, I actually think to be honest uh, and you know I spoke to Stephen Ferris about this it was, and, I, and I was one of the ones doubting him you know as in was he going to be a starter for Ireland yeah. uh, but I thought he really reacted well to that pressure and that potentially speculation or, or threat to his starting position in the World Cup warm-up games um, and he had bits of form during the World Cup where you thought wow that's Dean Henderson that you know was a British and Irish line a couple of years ago Um and it's going to be interesting to see how he comes out of this World Cup, goes back to Ulster and becomes, a captain, and becomes captain. I think it's a huge honour for him. It's a huge opportunity for him to take over from Rory, who's obviously been a phenomenal captain. And I think it could 
rejuvenate him and, and revive him. And, and uh, he'd be very different than Rory in that he can probably he can probably have big more big moments to lead. You know what I mean? Uh, Rory was kind of Mr. Consistency and um, the nuts and bolts of his game was was very strong. Whereas I think Henderson has has a lot of power and, and he can give them a lot of go forward. Um, and, uh, you know, if he's not calling the lineouts, um, and obviously with Carter coming in there to take maybe the, that mantle off him, he can just concentrate on on being the, the type of player he is, which is, for me, it's a power a power player. And um, I think it could be a really smart uh, decision by Dan. And Dan's very good around the whole leadership development and um, making people better at, at that. So, uh, yeah, I, I hopefully it'll be a really good thing for Ulster and hopefully a really good thing for Ireland that we're developing. He's he's coming to the fore now, having been a player for five or six years who we kind of considered a young player and, and did really well. But now to be to flip into being a, a go-to player for Ulster. Yeah, it's also interesting that Billy Burns has been kind of pushed into that leadership bracket as well, captaining the team a couple of times. Um, and maybe there were question marks around him last season. He, he was excellent throughout, say, the Pro 14 regular season. We've even seen early on this season with his attacking, kicking game. He's got a lovely skill set and he does seem to be growing in terms of his personality as well. But it was kind of when you got to those big crunch games, there was maybe those question marks whether he was going to control um, control and, and manage those games. Obviously, Cooney's very influential in, in that sense for Ulster, but, but do you think Burns maybe still yeah, has a bit more to I, show? I think Burns, uh, um, again, it's his second season. Um, you know, working under Dan, he probably has a better idea of exactly what Dan wants in, in certain areas of the field. But I think the beauty of having Cooney as your nine, it's a little bit like a, a French-style nine. Like, they mm. generally run the game and then you allow Burns to, to be the type of flair player that he is. He has definite quality from that point of view. So, um, I think that he should be better this year. You know, is he one of the top tens in, in the world? Is he, is, he, is he a ten at the moment who you'd say you know, he'd play for other teams who were contenders to win Europe. There's a doubt, but definitely he's he's on the right track and he has he's a lot of areas of his game where he is, you know, very close to world class. The question mark is around that game management and, and dealing with pressure and uh, find a way to unlock better defences. But um, uh, again, he's another guy you're, you're just looking forward to seeing him play and seeing him develop. Yeah, Bath against Ulster Saturday at one o'clock at the rec. Uh, we'll get your predictions and we'll move on then to Leinster next. Uh, Bernard, starting with yourself. Uh, I think Ulster will go there and, and win. I, I think I think for Bath, I think, you know, being real contenders in Europe is probably a little bit of uh, a stretch for them. I, I'd say Stuart uh, Hooper is looking at, you know, having a, a really good premiership. They'll obviously want to win this game, but I just think, I think Leinster, um, I think Ulster will, will be good enough to get an away win, which would be vital for them. Yeah, but, I go along with that. I think they probably have better cohesion at this time of the season as well. They've, they obviously weren't as affected, unfortunately, for some individuals by the World Cup. People like Cooney were, were back early enough and I think that'll stand them in good stead with all those fit players as well. I can't wait to see a bit more of Will Addison, a guy who has excited a lot of Irish rugby fans and, and seeing a bit more of his creative skills. It's going to be really exciting. Also, I think it's brilliant to have Claremont back. I'm just so excited they're back in. You mentioned yeah. their fortress down in Claremont. It's in Claremont over and it's incredible. They have players like Damian Penno and Patheliato. They have so much excitement and quality to add to the competition and their fans are just incredible as well. So happy days. Absolutely happy days. Uh, Leinster then. Murray, start us off. Um, if people are kind of only reacclimatizing to the club scene after the World Cup and all the mania surrounding it, um, obviously it's a very impressive start to the season by Leinster magnificent victory in Galway last weekend where do you see Leinster as being in any way different to last year is it just a case of kind of that conveyor belt of talent continuing and a couple of fresh faces on the scene or have they tweaked anything to your mind from what you've seen so far I think it's probably that conveyor belt of talent being even closer to being ready to to push the perceived frontliners Um Obviously, they, early on this season, they've we got to take into account the, the quality of the opposition. They've played some relatively poor teams, but they've won six out of six, five bonus point wins, really excellent individual form, taking into account the opposition. So guys like Ronan Kelleher, um, Scott Penny, Caelan Doris, all of these guys look obviously a year closer to being ready to to push on and fulfil the potential. We've probably always been well um well told about and, and Leinster have always been excited about these kind of prospects. It just feels like they're a little bit closer to to pushing the older figures out, out of the, the kind of starting slots. Obviously, Jack Conan's missing, so that number eight position was up for for grabs. Deegan, Max Deegan, an excellent prospect as well. But Doris, for me, has is, is really impressed early on this season. He looks like such a, a potentially complete number eight, a little bit like a Faletau or even a Kieran Reid, where he can 
jumping the line out. He's he's added that skill since he left school. He can pass, he can offload, he can run brilliant lines, he can tackle hard, jackal, really do do all of it. Ronan Keller is probably in a similar bracket. Um, an exceptional athlete, you know, everyone's seen his pace in, in, in open play, his offloading. I think he used to play in the backs actually when he was very young in school. And you can see that in, in his approach. He still probably has the bits to learn and the consistency of the throw and the scrum, which wouldn't be my area of expertise, but there's so much to be excited about with his ability as well. And clearly Leinster are as well. I think Ronan Keller is going to start this weekend and, and what a great opportunity for him. So that's kind of the, the, the story of the season so far for me in terms of the tactical tweaks and that kind of that kind of stuff I, I think we'll see more they, they're they a versatile team like obviously the perception around Ireland and Leinster that based on O'Driscoll and Nathewa comments around the World Cup was that you know Leinster are playing this kind of chaotic open style but they're very capable of mixing up we saw it in Connacht like they'll, they'll grind you down they can focus on the set piece they can be narrow in their carries but they have the ability to to open up as well so I'd call them a very flexible tactical team so I think they're they're always tweaking little bits and pieces there. There's not a whole lot of change because Keane Keller is essentially the only new signing from outside the province, but seven players stepping off from the academy onto pro contracts and all of them so far really given opportunity of impressed. So again, as always, it's it's exciting for Irish rugby to see that next layer of talent. Bernard, your impressions of Leinster so yeah, far I this think season? It's brilliant. I think this I mean if you're if you're one of those young lads, you're you're wishing it was a World Cup every year, you know, because uh <laughs> It gives them a chance to get four or five games in a row. And when they do, we saw how good they were. I mean, effectively, you know, like I, I thought Ke uh, Hugo Keenan, I thought Jimmy O'Brien, you know, uh, Murray mentioned Ronan Kelleher. I thought Josh Murphy was excellent uh, against Connor. And I, they've always been good because generally what happens is, and, and Stuart and Leo, you know, they manage it quite well. And because Leinster provides so many players for Ireland, there's a constant need to, for them to play. Uh, but you generally see them one week in a kind of a mixed team and they do really well, but then they're gone again for, for three or four weeks. Um, whereas this World Cup cycle, I mean, even down to the preseason, they would have been together without the internationals for, for most of it. So I think it's been a, a really good opportunity for them. And sometimes players don't take that opportunity, but this group have, and, and I also do agree that they've had a, an easier run in. They played a lot of teams around the Challenge Cup rather than the, the Champions Cup. And I, I think Connacht, are better than they were Saturday or, or Friday night. But having said that, the quality of Leinster's performance um, have, have been excellent. And they have players now, like, uh, you know, the likes of Jimmy O'Brien came in for Robbie Henshaw was was superb. You know, we already mentioned some of the fellas in the forwards. Um, they're really putting down a, a marker. And I think now, you know, if, if Stuart, Leo or Stewart needed to call him in for this weekend or you know further down the Champions Cup they, they merit the chance and, and they've done it at, at Pro 14 level you know, there's kind of this hierarchy of respect where you know you're a good Pro 14 you're probably a good A player or a good academy player then you're a Pro 14 player then you got to prove it at Champions Cup and then you prove international um, but they've, they've definitely shown that they're as good as anything else that's out there uh, in the in the, in the Celtic Nations um, at the moment even at first choice level. So that's that's pretty pleasing. I think you've made a brilliant point there about the preseason because while we were all focused on World Cup warm-up games and what Ireland were doing with their squad, the provinces all had a really long preseason, which is so rare. Yeah. Like players don't actually get a chance to put on, say, a bit of muscle mass. You talk yeah. about Josh Murphy there, who looks, I don't know, maybe three, four kilos heavier, yeah, but he's really playing big now. There's yeah. other guys around the provinces, even someone like Conor Fitzgerald in Connacht, who looks now more physically capable of playing at this level. There's, they're across the board, really. Kelher being so durable now, having had his injury problems and looking like he's fully realised his potential physically. It was a really important long summer for those players and potentially career-defining almost because yeah. they fully realised their physical potential and now they can push on another level. It, it was really important in that aspect. And, and I think you're right in that sense. The province probably go, oh, in some ways it's brilliant having a, a World Cup because you get such a long period of, of time working with the players. Um, yeah, so and even, even Leinster, like... They went to play Canada in Canada with a very young group, but they brought Scott Fardy and James Lowe in a kind of a, a babysitter role. You know, and for those lads to, it sounds so obvious, so basic, but just getting on a plane to go play an international side, you know, and, and knowing that if you play really well uh, and train really well and, and are good in the environment, that that may lead to games at the start of the season. Because even without those internationals, there's still a huge amount of competition in that Leinster squad. Mm. You know, so you're not like, you know, probably some players in in in, in other teams Glasgow for example if you look at their depth you know Dave Rennie's a brilliant coach but you take away the international players 
there's not the same level of, of quality. Um, so the guys who are back up to the to the starters in Glasgow know that during the World Cup they're going to play. Whereas in Leinster, you know, Ronan Keller doesn't know he's going to play. He has to be better than Tracy. You know, so uh, there's probably competition across across the board there, and I think that's a really good mindset um, and, a, and a really good environment to be in because every day is a is a test day for the, for those players, and when they get used to that as, as as young players, it just gives them such good habits and such good mentality for for down the road. Yeah. So uh, Leinster are very fortunate that uh, that they have those players in their in their system, but also they look after them pretty well. Yeah, and so good that the players come back from the World Cup some who didn't probably perform at the World Cup, others who probably didn't get the opportunities they wanted and others who did really perform, they come back in with so much motivation to stamp their kind of authority back on those positions. Like look at Andrew Porter, who probably didn't get those opportunities. He fully felt he deserved the World Cup. He was so good against yeah. Connacht. He's just such a unique kind of physical specimen. Someone like Reese Roddick, so motivated to get back on the pitch and show exactly what he can do. And then someone like Sexton, maybe who comes off to the back of a bad game last time against New Zealand, and just a, a kind of reminder that he has to also battle for his place. I know he's obviously a massive figure in it and people shouldn't forget that they're all such quality international players. Yeah, but Ross Byrne won't want to, by his exactly. nature, he, he won't give that up easily. I mean, if he if he feels that Johnny's got a, an easy ride in, he'd be banging on, on Leon Short's door. And, you know, that's the kind, and that's what you want. You know, you want players who, who come in, perform, and then don't expect to be turfed out again just because international came back. So, again, it just points to to Leinster being in a in a really good place once they manage that change back if they do go if they do go back to internationals, which obviously you would say they sh- they will at in some stage over the next four or five weeks. Mm. Um, but then obviously those lads have to come in and play well, or else you know they'll they'll risk being dropped. The the one change I want to ask you about was. Robin McBride, who behind the scenes could be really influential. What's what, what can they expect from him? I think um, I'd say not very technical, uh, but very good um, at man management. Uh, very would have learned a lot from from Gats around, you know. Um, the, the type of environment you need to create as a forwards coach would have picked up a huge amount of experience. So, so that, sorry, when I said like, not when I say technical, not focused to the absolute degree on technique, he obviously has a huge amount of technical and tactical ability, but I would say more around um, creating a really hard-nosed pack who who know how to, to get themselves into the game, who have a, an identity within a, a team identity, if you get me, um, and very good, very good at, with young players, very, very, uh, very knowledgeable uh, and good at passing that knowledge on. So, like he would have worked with, he would have come out to the Dragons when when Leon Brown, Aaron, Aaron Wainwright, Elliot D, when they were kind of maybe fifth or sixth choice in the depth chart for their positions, and would have had a you know a built up good rapport with them. Um, so obviously in Wales you have to do that across four regions, but here it's probably the same in Leinster because you're the, the guy who's fifth down the depth chart will play for you this year, and he's generally good enough to play. So uh, I think he'll be. It's just adding another layer. I think if you're looking at Leo and Stuart and McDawson etc. When they made the decision to go with Robin, you're buying that twelve years of 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 experience and knowledge in a, in. In a, in a top class environment and I think it's a different voice a different set of opinion you know you're finding out how Sean Edwards sees defence you're finding out how you know Rob Howley sees attack you're you're, um, you're you know you're getting insight from from Alan Wynne Jones what he sees you know so you're just getting you're buying in a lot of intelligence and, and experience and I think it could be fascinating you know um, and also I think he'll have more of a remit he's not just doing scrum you know, whereas obviously John uh, was mainly doing scrum, John Fogarty, Leo was running the line out, but I, I think you'll see Robin have, he was doing both in, in Wales, um, so potentially you might see see some subtle changes in that, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's, you can go out and bring in coaches to that quality to a team who are already very close to being the best in Europe. Um, it's, a, it's a positive. Just in relation to Leinster's pool rivals then this season in the Champions Cup, um, we probably know a fair amount about Benetton and certainly Leinster do over the last, uh, from playing them over the last couple of years. Northampton seem to be motoring along pretty nicely, uh, albeit at the formative stages in the Premiership. Leon are absolutely flying it and it's kind of a fascinating rise for them when you consider they've been kind of a yo-yo club in France since 2010, 2011. I think they were promoted in 2011, 2014 again, then 2016 for a third time. This time they look 
here to stay, or at least as here to stay as a French club can be, uh, top of the top 14 at the moment. Well, where does this come from, particularly uh, in a city where which we probably traditionally associate with uh, football? Yeah, I know Lyon uh, very well. They were our, um, our big rivals in, in Grenoble. So in that part of France, you've got Grenoble, uh, Bourgogne and Lyon. So Bourgogne is a tiny town, but they were the they were the top team for for a long time and and Leon Leon had a lot of money for about 15 years um but spent it pretty badly and couldn't really get a foothold in in the top 14 so they're a bit of a yo-yo team um but they're always a city and a, and a side with with huge potential i think Mignoni has been the the key um they got in a, a coach who'd been in Toulon under Bernard Laporte um played in Clermont um uh, had a really good understanding of of the top fourteen and Fernand Laporte. You know, we generally talk about his political uh, uh, power, but he was a pretty successful coach in in his own right, whether it's Stade Francais or, or France or Toulon, and probably up there with Galtier in terms of the one of the French coaches I've come across that uh, you know actually really studies the game and and kind of understands what winning looks like and how you need to prepare to win in terms of game plan etc so I think Mignoni has got a has a, had a, a couple of really good mentors or a really good passage into becoming a coach and also he's landed in a club with a lot of money and you know they've been able to sign really well they 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 took a lot of players from Grenoble when Grenoble ran into financial difficulties a lot of young GIF players um, weren't shy about paying the transfer fees or the or the um, the, the settlements you need to pay if you take a guy who's being formed or sorry came through an academy somewhere else and uh, they've got a very good home crowd. They play. Uh, I don't know. I think they're struggling. Uh, they struggle to be contenders in Europe. But I would say, you know, their their goal now is to is to win a, a top fourteen straight away. But I think they'll take Europe a lot more seriously this year. I think did they win a game last year? Or the, six no, out of six, 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 six as I thought. Yeah. Um, but they put. If you look at the teams they put out, it wasn't their first choice team. So um, I think they'll go hell for leather at home. And they'll see how they go away from home, but they are—they're a fascinating uh, case study because uh, it's so hard to break from—it's hard to break into that top six in France or any of the leagues, really. Uh, so I would say there's two reasons behind it: one is Mignoni, and the other one's money. Mm. Great restaurants in that city as well, so it's a nice trip to add to the add to the calendar. It's a lovely <laughs> city. Star restaurants in Paris, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. The Bouchons as well, exactly. lovely. I'd be interested to see the Saints as well. Northampton, mm. they played a lovely style of rugby last year. Real revival under Chris Boyd, as you mentioned, um, and again, it's interesting to see how much they invest into this into this pool. Because if Leon don't, for example, then yeah. Leinster could just stroll through this with a handy enough success. Yeah, I find it hard to see. I, I think Leinster can go to Leon and win. Mm. Uh, I just think, uh, just going back to Leinster, I, I, they've obviously bulked up, but I, I thought their footwork against Connacht in contact was was a different level across, across the park, and I think that'll be a big shock to, to Leon. I think they're used to players and teams just trying to trying to out-muscle them and run directly at them and, and play a lot of slow ball plays and um, rely on their maul and, and their kicking game. Whereas I think Leinster will go in there. and Now, Leon are fit. They're fitter than most French teams, but I just think that shock of playing top 14 at a, at a certain pace and then the type of uh, pace and, and uh, ball and play time that Leinster will bring might just take a little while to adjust them. By the time you adjust, the game's over and you've lost. Uh, Leinster Benetton predictions then quarter past three on Saturday at the RDS. Yeah, right. bonus point win, I think. Bonus point win. Yeah, I, I think they will. I think they'll rip the rip Benetton apart. Rip Benetton are, are, are you know, they're obviously an improving side, but um, I just think Leinster at home they want to go out and make a massive statement and all, all the all the signs point to getting off to a, a bonus point win. Monster in Swansea then this weekend uh, away to the Ospreys who themselves are kind of struggling in the Pro 14 or have been so far. I mean, Monster might not have even been going to Swansea. You had plans come to fruition uh, a couple of months back and amalgamations and all that. Um, you'd expect Monster to to win this game, but there's obviously a conversation to be had around Monster in that probably the greatest overhaul uh, of any of the provinces has happened behind the scenes at Monster with uh, the introduction of Graham Roundtree and Stephen Larkham. Um, what do you? Uh, what have you seen in Monster so far, Murray? That uh, would lead you to believe they can build upon what they achieved last season. Yeah, it's a huge amount of kind of intellectual property to add, isn't it? It's a huge amount of experience. It was kind of interesting looking at the coaching box in the first few weeks when Rentry wasn't there, 
and Larkham seemed to be the one sending all the messages down onto the pitch. I think Van Grand's probably wrestled that back a little bit, but it'll be an interesting dynamic in that sense as well because Larkham comes in as the senior coach, a little bit like Lancaster with Colin and Leinster. Um, but it, they add so much in terms of new ideas, different views on things. Roundtree hasn't been in quite as long. Um, he was obviously at the World Cup with, with Georgia, but very well thought of by the likes of Peter Omani, etc. from from Lions Tours. Very hard-nosed, I would say. Again, I'd, I'd say Bernard has probably more insight in him. Just on Larkham, he's obviously been there since the start of preseason, and the early reports were great. The players have really enjoyed working with him. Just, a, I guess, a breath of fresh air, really. Um, a different approach. Little subtle details around their technical skills that maybe they hadn't been looking at it that way um, and then even with their attack you're seeing little glimpses even against Ulster the amount of times they bounced back into the short side avoided coming into the face of that real line speed and you could see it was kind of muddying the picture in, in Ulster's head defensively and they caught them out a couple of times where they actually did go open side and they were a little bit short on defenders having anticipated that little bounce back attack even some of the stuff they're doing off set piece where they're running very simple plays. They might actually run the same line out off two line out play off two consecutive lineouts, but just change up the option, having painted one picture and then go to a different player within the same setup as well. Little simple things like that. You're seeing Mike Haley probably stand up as uh, a first receiver more often. That was encouraging to see. Rory Scannell obviously doing the same as well. So there hasn't been a, a, a wholesale change in that regard, but you're seeing those little subtle uh, influences from Larkham, I think. And it was interesting to see that Peter Omani said they had to come back and learn a lot of new things, new calls, new ideas, new structures, etc. So probably good for those senior players returning as well. You, you maybe worry about a hangover from World Cup, but they've got to get straight back up to speed. And again, you're looking at guys like Andrew Conway coming back from World Cup and picking up where he left off. Just He's the, he's the form winger really in, in Irish rugby at the moment, I think. And the more they can get him on the ball this weekend, the better. It's, a, it's an ideal start for them. We'll probably come to the out-half thing, but... They're obviously a little bit depleted, but Ospreys are in a really sorry state at the moment. Um, so it's ideal timing for Munster to be going there. Yeah, we certainly will talk about the out-half situation. Just um, on the coaching situation, though, Bernard, and you'd probably have that insight, as Murray says, into what Graham Rowntree will bring to the table. Uh, certainly hard-nosed, as you say, Murray. and uh, But also the kind of figure, I think, that will immediately garner the respect of some of the senior figures in that Munster pack. Yeah, 100%. I think it's a, you know, you lose someone like Jerry Flannery, um, you got to make sure you you cover all the um, all the issues and worries and concerns players would have. So you go out and get someone like Graham Rowntree who's been, you know, as a, as a player, been in brilliant environments and as a coach, been um, in really good environments and probably more conversation and louder than, than, than um, Rob McBride. But they both have very similar CVs in terms of, I would say, experience as 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 one player, but more importantly as coaches. And um, again, you know, I think Larkham, maybe from what I can gather, maybe struggled with the, the head coach in terms of the non-rugby side of it, but uh, is very good at the rugby side of it, which is his job now. And maybe if you look at the end of season um, with Munster and how the Felix and the Jerry thing contractual situation played out, Maybe Munster needed somebody, the the DOR or whatever, to to be more have more time to do that kind of thing, because you know even though time will tell whether it turns out to be for the best, it's not ideal. You know you want to have clarity in terms of your succession plan at coach level. So you know if if Larkham and, and Roundtree are more the hands on, you know coaches on the field or on match day, but Van Grahan is is overseeing the the whole project. Well, that'd be more in line with kind of what happens in a lot of other places. You know there's you know, if you look at Leinster, you know Stuart does a lot of the coaching, um, and Leo does a lot of the the overall management and planning, etc. And, and that works pretty well. And um, it's probably rarer, you know, the places like Ulster where Dan is kind of hands on and doing everything else. But you know, it, it looks like in a big teams where you don't, when you have the resource, you're probably better off having someone at the top who doesn't have to do everything. Uh, on the training field or on match day, and uh, I think that'll give Lark that'll play the Larkham strengths. Certainly, Roundtree is a is a very is a hands on coach and, and always has been. So, um, and also they've got a brilliant opportunity to start with a potentially a, a bonus point win, uh, and that's rare enough, you know, um, in, in Europe, particularly when you see the quality that Ospreys can have on on any given day or or their you know their, over the last ten years their ability to put in big performances. But unfortunately, at the moment they look. They look something like a team who've had the wind taken out of their sails, which 
is not is understandable when you know you're you're not sure on a, on a Friday if you're going to if there's going to be a team there on a Monday. So um, they probably haven't recovered from that yet, and and probably the fact that Alan Wynne Jones etc. haven't been there has added to that. You know, I thought the way like they were able to handle that during the Six Nations and not let it affect their Wales performances or or keep the Ospreys intact better towards the end of the season than they are now um, is testament to having you know two or three really strong leaders in a group who try and keep all that external noise away from the the day-to-day job which is playing but I understand I've been in clubs before where you know people could become consumed by the the financial reality of is a club safe and and, and I I understand that but I think um, Ospreys are a little bit unlucky that this has happened in a World Cup year where where those guys who can maybe galvanise the dressing room have been away and uh, it's, a, it's a tough situation tough situation for Alan Clark and um, it's a tough situation for the Ospreys like this isn't helping their case of staying alive as an individual entity so um, and again there's that fear that they'll you know they'll rally this weekend and, and pull something out of the bag but Munster generally for me are always 20% better in Europe and I know it sounds a cliche but just year and year and year they do step it up it's Sometimes part of their cliches part, are there for a reason no but times. it's part of their heritage and you know you'd, you'd be shocked if they couldn't go there and maybe not get the bonus point but not win and win, win reasonably comfortably I would say yeah obviously the one little drawback or potential wrinkle for Munster is the 10 situation very interesting to see Ben Healy was brought in as one of those swap players for their European squad in place of Alex Wooten what, what is the latest actually there generally speaking uh, at out half in terms of uh, JJ Hanrahan's fitness and who is likely to start? Yeah, Hanrahan's had a scan on his hamstring. As soon as someone goes for a scan, I think, you know, it's yeah. it's going to be a relatively serious injury. I think they're talking about him maybe making it. But Tyler Blaindahl, by all accounts, is going to start at 10. Thoroughly experienced. He's 29 and and has played in many big games. He, he's a, a, a vast array of experience, Super Rugby and with Munster, and is a really influential figure, as we've discussed in the podcast before, tactically uh, behind the scenes in Munster. And he had a good game against Ulster. You saw some of his skills there. You saw the inside pass for Conway. You saw his pass out the back door for the, the first try as well, or for the rather uh, Roy Scannell. Um, and also you saw some really good tackling by him. I thought it was really encouraging to see that where people have probably questioned understandably whether he could come back from such serious neck injuries and, and putting his body into those situations but he's clearly grown in that uh, into this season and, and looks physically in good nick as well so I think they'll be fine at, at 10 I think it's really exciting that Ben Healy's been added to the squad he's 20 year old people would be impressed by him for the Ireland under 20s and I think it would be great to just see him get a, a cap off the bench because Munster like you were talking about the new signings last week Munster do have a, a layer of talent there as well and it'll be Really encouraging to see those guys get opportunities, even if he gets a, a chance off the off the bench. Debut in Europe would be massive for him. Guys like Finney and Witcherly getting exposure. Shane Daly has looked really good early on the season. I know he's what twenty two now and has had that time with the sevens, but he looks ready to go as well. So I think it'd be brilliant for them to to start pushing that crop through their several other backsters, a couple of guys up front as well that, that we could mention. Um, so that's really exciting. I think it is a real frustration for Johan van Graan. I think he probably thinly disguised his frustration in his comments when he was asked about it at the, the launch. Like Joey Carby coming back and now being out for probably a couple of months. They they have to get that right because he's he's been carrying injuries for so long. He hasn't had a clear run. They have to get him fully fit, not carrying any niggles before he gets in the back on the pitch. I actually feel sorry for Joey Carberry as well. I felt at the World Cup, even when we interviewed him, you could see almost a bit of frustration behind his eyes, insisting that he was fully fit, I'm ready to go. And clearly he wasn't. I can understand that. I know people are, are criticising Joe Schmidt for bringing an injured player. If I was the head coach, I would have brought him as well because I think he's got that level of talent and and you would have hoped and prayed that he could have got a bit fitter. Um, but it is deeply frustrating for Munster that they're without their key guy, the, the guy that probably everything will be built around in the next few years. He's the kind of key player, that quarterback figure um, that everything goes around. But Blendal's certainly not a, a, a bad replacement. One other injury she mentioned is Dave Kilcoyne. He's a big mm-hmm. loss because um, he was outstanding at the World Cup. Um, and probably would have brought a bit of that form back in. He's picked up a kind of niggle in, in his calf. I think they're mentioning a few weeks out for that. So that's a blow as well. And and Carberry, yeah, I'm just gutted for him on a, on a personal level because he hasn't got that clear run. Um, and we all know about his potential. Even Warren Gatland last night and off the ball mentioning he's a guy he's looking at for 2021 Lions. So it's clear what he can what he can achieve in the game. And hopefully this period out allows him to fix absolutely everything and he gets, gets back fully fit. 100%. Looking at the pool then, um, when Munster were put into that pool on paper, it seemed like probably one of the pools of death. Uh, you're in there with the champions, with Racing, 
Uh, and obviously we were unsure as to how the Ospreys would kind of manifest uh, depending on their troubles. But as it transpires, while it's still a tough pool on paper, Saracens have their own issues. Rassinger and trouble really in France at the moment and obviously we've we've touched upon the Ospreys so give us your take Bernard on how you see that pool shaping up if I ask you to be kind of a yeah I think Munster will win it to be honest I think uh, Saris will uh, without a doubt that you know they've got huge uh, team spirit and huge motivation and um, and they'll they'll try and qualify for sure but I, I think that they may be vulnerable I, I, I think you know at some stage it's you know it's so unusual to have relegation looming over you um, for a team who are contenders are, are probably the best team in Europe you know all being all take away the, the fine and, and the points deduction you'd have to say that they were the team that most likely to win it again but I think that's changed now to be honest and I think uh, Racing they got a big win against that front side the weekend uh, but bottom of the table and you know they'll definitely have a focus focus on that. There's issues with Ben Tavamina and uh, Nakawara, Leone uh, come back late, and uh, even though they'll get over those, uh, I just don't think they're in a brilliant place, you know, to start off. So I, I think Munster will top that group, and you you couldn't have said that you know three or four months ago, but things change quickly, and uh, who would have thought Racing would be second from bottom and. And Saracens would have, you know, an, a more uh, important issue potentially on their mind. So it opens it up. I don't think the quality, like as Murray said earlier, it's so good Claremont are in it because bar Claremont now, who who realistically are, are as good as Leinster? Mm. You know, if Saracens don't manage to fight a, a battle on, on, on both fronts. So um, I think the quality across the board maybe, uh, a, bar the top three maybe, which is Saracens for me, Claremont and, and Leinster, there's a big drop to to the rest. Not yeah. a big drop, but there's a there's a drop. Yeah. I wouldn't buy into the Mark McCall thing where he says he's going to focus solely on the Premiership beater. He's kind of intimated that because they, as as they showed last season, they can absolutely battle on both fronts. I think the point about the turmoil off the pitch is, is relevant, and so is the fact that their kind of spine was at the World Cup all the way through to yeah. the final. Farrell, Itoje, the Vunapolas, like. Billy Vunapola played virtually every game, didn't he? Yeah, sorry, Murray. The reason, I, I don't think that... They still have the same squad. So in theory, they should be able to do both. Um, but I, I saw an interview with Alex Ferguson, or Alex Sanderson, and uh, he was asked about international players before this whole um, salary uh, cap scandal. And he thought they'd only have them for seven games. Yeah. So that would that would make me fear, you know, um, there's, if you only have them for seven and you play them in six Champions Cup quali- uh, group stages, uh, you're pretty light then for what now becomes a, a very difficult situation. So that's the only thing, and obviously they can try and play with that a little bit, but realistically those lads who went to the World Cup played all the way to the final, they're also going to pitch up for England in the Six Nations. Um, so I do think they're going to have to manage their squad a little bit and you'd have to fancy Munster if it was anyway a weakened Saracens team um, to be, particularly in Tolman to be able to to beat them and, and that might be enough you know even to lose in, in, in a, a way I'd fancy them to get home and away wins against Ospreys and Racing which you know would give them a great chance mm. You summed up well it's funny how it's kind of opened up for them the, the opportunity is definitely there now Certainly is Munster uh, away at the Ospreys that kicks off at half past five on Saturday uh, Connacht then to round us off they're the Irish team in action on the Sunday, one o'clock against Montpellier, uh, who are kind of middle of the road, I think, in France at the minute. Um, Connacht kind of coming in off the back of a defeat that had mitigating factors to it, but all, was albeit a, a fairly embarrassing one, certainly on the scoreline um, or scoreboard rather. Um, how are they shaping up, generally speaking, Murray, firstly, and uh in the injury situation that kind of hampered them last week is that going to potentially actually have an impact on the early stages of their European campaign yeah definitely I think so um, they're expecting Alton Delan to be back which would be a boost in the second row but they're missing Thornbury and Rue who probably would have been the starting second row the two of them started the season in brilliant form watching back through the through the early games Thornbury was excellent last season seemed ready to move on to another level easy to forget he was in, in an Ireland camp last season as well and Rude the same a guy who's obviously got international experience they're big blows Marmion now is, is going to be out for, for several weeks another Sean O'Brien there, there are several injury issues there really badly timed and particularly with your second row when you're playing a team like Montpellier who are bulky they're big they're powerful um, and they can really grind you down You'd worry if the game does turn into a lot of lineouts, scrums, the chance for 
them to build their mall off those line outs. You, you saw what Leinster did to Connacht and that would be a real concern for them. I think they'll be, I mean, Andy Friend's been pretty upfront about it. They'll obviously <laughs> target a, a kind of fronting up in that area, but he's been um, honest about them trying to play, trying to use their mobility, their um, ability to move the ball as well and maybe mix the game up in that aspect. But I think the, the injury crisis as it really is, is just so unfortunately time for them because it is so exciting that they're also back in the Champions Cup. I think it's brilliant for, obviously for the province, for their supporters, they're going to have a brilliant atmosphere, even though it's a, not the ideal kickoff time on a Sunday. But the, the fans are obviously so excited and the, the players to, to get that chance to play in the top tier competition and maybe prove a point even at international level. You look at someone like Tom Farrell, who has been superb for two seasons now, but maybe those performances didn't count for as much because he wasn't always in the in the Champions Cup. He wasn't always playing against the best teams in Europe, whereas now he gets a chance potentially to, to show his quality against the very best. Even Jack Carty, who was obviously involved with Ireland, but if he can stand out in Champions Cup games, well then, maybe that pushes him closer to a potential starting spot for Ireland. And, and there are loads of guys in that bracket as well. So it's exciting on, on that aspect and, and overall for the campaign, but it is a tough pool. Montpellier, obviously, and, and Toulouse, who are back really close to their best. And it's just so thrilling as well for the competition to have them there. Gloucester, I think, conical fancy beating them maybe even a couple of times, but they have some quality too. So it's a really tough ask for them. Um, and I think it would be a massive achievement if they did get out of the group. Is it a case, Bernard, of just trying to keep it alive for these opening couple of rounds until you get those reinforcements of players returning, even key figures like Marmion? One or two can make a difference like in yeah. round three. Yeah, Marmion is an interesting case. He was down to be on the bench, but pulled out with a, a, a back uh, back spasm. Uh, where's his future? You know, um, Is he going to knuckle down and, and battle back and, and you know regain his place ahead of Caelan Blade or... Will he decide his future is elsewhere? Um, maybe Saracens might not have the money that they was being touted around a few a few weeks ago. If that's <laughs> no, but uh, he's a he's a key man for them. I mean, even if you only have him on the bench, um, you know he he gives you something. He gives you a lot. Um, a couple, you know, I, I, Murray mentioned uh, Gavin Thornbury. I think he's a great example to to players who maybe get spat out of the academy system uh, to keep the faith. You know, he went down to play Heartland in in New Zealand which isn't a high level worked in a in a beef factory you know uh, and you know had a 9 to 5 job but came back and played a bit of club and Connor took a chance on him and now he looks like a, a guy that potentially could force his way into international rugby at some stage so uh, I think the game last weekend was too bad to be true they've actually been quite decent yeah. um, leading into that Leinster got a found a, an Ackley's heel which was the mall um, and before you know it, you know there was other aspects of Leinster's game which was which was very good and kind of got overpowered. But effectively, the game was over once Leinster were able to kick the touch. And you know, you saw, um, I think a sixteen-three under the post, having played against the wind, and, and Ross Byrne goes to the corner. You know, it's a really hard kick. Doesn't get a five yards, gets a ten yards, yeah. and they still end up scoring. I mean, uh, and Jimmy Duffy's a very smart coach, so I think. They'll have improved that. They'll need to because the Montpellier Mall is is bigger uh, and heavier than uh, than than Leinster's. But I think they need to get a second row back. I mean, they were very light uh, in that area uh, against Leinster. And if they do, even uh, their attacking game is good enough. Take away how poorly they attacked against Leinster. Um, I think that was just a really bad bad day. They're up against a quality team who you know punished them. And I think Connacht will get over the, they'll get a win on, on, on Sunday. And by hook or by crook, you know, it's just a case of winning, as you say, uh, staying alive and then hopefully get some of those injured players back in for, for later stages. Sports ground's a very difficult place to go, even for Toulouse. Um, you know, the atmosphere there can be uh can be really uh electric players feed off it and that was the big issue the weekend Leinster just took the crowd out of it because they're so dominant early doors um, but I'd imagine it'd be a big reaction and I think Andy Friend is, and Jimmy Duffy and Nigel Caron have done a cracking job and if the makings of a very good team and, and they'll embrace this challenge and, and do well They'll put pressure on the the guys who are now stepping up with opportunity there are other injuries we didn't even mention Tierno Halloran Paddy McAllister new signing got a, a nasty knee one but that gives opportunity to people and they've talked a lot about building that depth and having realistic competition for places. And there's an opportunity for people to actually go and take that. Like we're talking about Marmion there, but Quaylen Blade has been brilliant and deservedly started ahead of him in, in several of those games. And he's a guy who probably a year or two ago you wouldn't have felt would be a starter for Connacht. He has absolutely taken every single opportunity he's got, potentially when Marmion was away with Ireland before he got left out of the World Cup. So there's a prime example. Thornbury's another one. You know, the, the opportunities are there now for a lot of these kind of squad players or, or fringe, maybe perceived as fringe players. 
Um, and no better time to do it than at home against Montpellier when your backs are seemingly against the wall. You reckon it would be an achievement in itself if they get out of the pool? Do you think they will get out of the pool at this juncture? No, looking at it now, without any romanticism, I think it would be, yeah, I, th- I think it would be a, a huge shock for me if they, got, if they got out of the pool. They definitely have qualities and, and they'll fight every inch of the way. And um, I think, as I said, it's brilliant to get exposure for those players, but I don't think they'll get out of the pool. Any more optimistic on your no, end, No, I think they'll win this again, but I think, um, yeah, I agree. It'd be, it's hard to see them get out of the pool. Montpellier would have to completely flop and not, not turn up at home um, to lose our, to lose our, I think Connacht give them a good game at home but to lose are our, our playing unbelievable rugby and have probably more power more strength and depth than, than Connacht do and uh, yeah I think sorry I, I, yeah, when I did mention to lose in the, in the, in the top four um, potentially they they are someone who are contenders you know but mm. I still think Leinster might have their, their number yeah so kind of pointless but I'm going to ask anyway we haven't seen any European action yet but if you were to pick it now uh, is it still Leinster for you, Bernard? Just about top of the tree, yeah, given yeah. that Saracens have their problems. Yeah, I do. I think they were the two standard teams last year, and even though you're you're basing a little bit on on historic information, you, you, you're the both teams who generally pitch for this competition, know what it takes to win, have really good strength and depth. But obviously, I just think that the 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 salary cap, the Premiership issue, will affect Saracens. Leinster will. We'll see this as an opportunity, and and the World Cup players coming back will seek some form of redemption, hmm. and the internal pressure of of having such strength and depth and and form and really good coaching and really good environment, um, and the fact that they can maybe coach through the Pro 14 for ninety percent of it, um, uh, so they can really manage players, and uh, you know they, you'd imagine they'd be very fresh at the right time, even though their team who have so many players playing international rugby. Can your beloved Claremont get over the line this year, Murray? <laughs> I'd love to see it. I'm actually going to go, you know it's an Irish rugby podcast. I think Leinster will win it as well. As well as the depth of Irish talent, the returning Ireland internationals, even the kind of overseas signings, like Joe Damani looks like a new player. Yeah. As we suspect, it might be the case. He's fully settled in. He's been excellent. Scott Fardy, I don't know, he's aging like the finest red wine you can see. He's stealing line outs, offloading. James Lowe is getting back up to speed after his operation during the summer as well. And I think he's going to get better and better as well. So there's so many aspects across the board with a really good coaching team and a, a squad that is very united and, and really plays for for each other. So yeah, they're my favourites at the moment. Yep, long way to go. We'll see how it plays out. And uh, thank you, gents. We'll wrap it there. Cheers. Thank you. We'll catch you soon, Bernard, as well. Uh, thank you to you at home for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Enjoy all the rugby over the weekend and we'll catch you on Monday. If you're a 42 member, you can sign up at uh, members.the42.ie. And if not, we'll catch you next Thursday for a regular pod. But until either of those two days, take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh, 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 Magic! You're not alive, boys, so you start kicking when the real name.